Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. My name is Renee Lavallee McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer in San Francisco. And this week I want to talk about the call to surrender and the opportunity for change. You know, as we've been sheltering at home, in general, it's been a pretty peaceful time for me. My kids have been home and they're teenagers. They don't want to have a lot to do with me, but I get to see them more than I usually do. The weather's been pretty nice. I actually took a little trip to the desert for a few days this week, which was amazing because it was so quiet. It's a place that we go ATV riding and there was almost no one there. The desert was in bloom. I get to sleep under the stars, get to watch the sunrise for a couple days in a row. I, I love to be in tune with nature and the opportunity to be in silence in general has been amazing. Even when I walk my dogs in San Francisco at night, it wasn't that much different than how the desert sounded. So quiet, almost no cars. It's pretty amazing. I live on a flight path of airplanes. There's very few airplanes right now. I'm really digging the silence. It feels a little bit like a retreat sometimes. I'm getting some artwork done. I've been spending a lot of time just trying to stay present. I try to stay out of the future. The future is a place of projection and anxiety in general. So I've been doing a lot of spiritual practice just to stay fully present, be in the moment. Most of the time, if I'm really in the moment, it's a pretty wonderful moment. The other night I went to Safeway and I had my first kind of coronavirus anxiety experience. <laughs> You know, they have people line up six feet apart. It was it was kind of a bad sunset weather moment. It was cold and windy and foggy out. It took me about 40 minutes to just wait outside before they let me in. I got in there. There was a lot of empty shelves, which is a little bit disturbing. I'm not sure what that's about. And it took me so long. I'm not used to having to add 40 minutes onto a shopping excursion, so... By the time I was lining up to pay, I was going to be late for an appointment. So I went into the self-checkout, which I usually don't do if I have a whole cart full because it's kind of a pain. They have the little scale thing that not everything fits on. Anyway, so I'm checking out with this machine talking to me, the computer checkout thing. Please put your item on the scale. Please remove the item that you've put on the scale. Please remove your unscanned item. Please put your item on the scale. Oh my God. I have to say, I almost started crying. It felt like something from 1984. It felt George Orwellian. The whole thing, everybody's got masks on, waiting in line, having almost no human contact. People in the aisles are like looking at you like you have the plague and they don't want to come anywhere near you. It's so weird. And Safeway's playing this recording. Please shoppers keep six feet distance between other shoppers. That's two shopping cart lengths. The whole thing was freaky. And then I'm kind of fighting with this machine. I had like no human contact the whole time I was there. It was really disturbing to me. I thought, oh my God, I hope this is not the direction that we're going. To be void of human contact for our own safety and interacting with machines because people have become irrelevant. I was disturbed. I had to come home and make a few phone calls. Now, I believe that we live in an interactive universe. 
That's my spiritual paradigm, that we're always in conversation with life. And life is listening, and it answers us. And when I'm distressed, answers are generally available to me. Because I'm a part of this system. It is a feedback loop. And so one of the answers I got last night was a link to a YouTube video by this guy, Charles Eisenstein. I had never heard of him. He's very interesting. I'm going to put a link to the interview in the show notes. He's written an article called The Coronation, and this interview was about that article. Eisenstein's got a lot of really interesting things to say about the possibilities and potentialities of the post-pandemic world. One of the things he says is, COVID-19 is showing us that when humanity is united in common cause, phenomenally rapid change is possible. A few months ago, a proposal to halt commercial air travel would have seemed preposterous. Likewise, for the radical changes we're making in our social behavior, economy, and the role of government in our lives. COVID demonstrates the power of our collective will when we agree on what is important. What else might we achieve in coherency? And what world shall we create? That is always the next question when anyone awakens to their power. He uses the metaphor that COVID-19 is like a rehab intervention that breaks the addictive hold of normalcy, that our habits have been interrupted. When habits are interrupted, we have an opportunity for change. The challenge of change is that no matter how well we plan out what we think the future is going to look like, it always requires us to go into the unknown. And the unknown can be really challenging because it's unknown. (laughs) And the unknown can be scary or it can be an exciting adventure, depending on your perspective. One of my favorite authors, Scott Peck, his most famous book is The Road Less Traveled, but he wrote another book called A Different Drum. It's about community building. And in it, he talks about the four stages of change. And I really like his model. The first stage in the four stages of change is to realize there's a problem. The second stage is to do something about that problem, to actually make a change, do something different. The third stage of change is emptiness. That's when you've made this change, you've let go of the old way of doing something, but the new way hasn't fully developed itself yet. And the new way, the resolution, that's the fourth stage. But in between the second stage and the fourth stage, making the change and coming to the resolution, is this place of emptiness. It's the in-between place between the old and the new. That's the hardest place. It's also the most important place in producing real change. It's the hardest because we're in the unknown. We're out of control. It's like a trapeze artist who has to let go of one trapeze as he swings to the next one. And there's a moment when he's let go of the old trapeze and he hasn't grabbed the new trapeze and he's hanging in the air. That's the third stage of change. Now, the trapeze artist doesn't have the opportunity to go back. Momentum propels him forward. But as humans, generally, in our own four stages of change, when we get to the place of emptiness, it's really easy and compelling to go back to the way it used to be because that feels safer than going into the unknown. 
I work with people all the time who really want change in their life. And when they come to the edge of everything they've known, they can't step off into the unknown. And they stay in the abusive relationship. They stay in the job that they hate. They continue a lifestyle that's slowly killing them or that's unfulfilling and joyless rather than risk stepping into something that's uncertain. It can take tremendous courage and a lot of energy to move through the place of emptiness into the fourth stage when something new develops. I see the third stage of change almost like pregnancy. It's the pregnant void where the universe is actually creating something new. It's like a seed that's planted under the ground that hasn't popped up yet. If you ever plant seeds and you water them, there's a moment after you've been watering them for a couple of weeks and you're like, is this thing ever going to grow? And then poof, they pop up. If you've ever been pregnant, certainly in early pregnancy, there's a big risk of spontaneous miscarriage. Am I really still pregnant? Is this really going to happen? If we can hang in there long enough, the seed will sprout. The baby will grow or it will expel itself. Something will happen. The exciting thing about the unknown for me when I'm in a good place is that there's really a potential for something new. Something beyond what I can imagine. I've just had this experience in a really profound way. I was on the fence when I started podcasting if I should talk about my recent divorce. It feels important to share my experience because it's been so profound. There was a lot about the marriage that was functional. We're great co-parents. Everything looked great on paper. There was a lot about the relationship that was dead. But I was terrified to leave. It felt so selfish of me. My own unhappiness, my own lack of fulfillment, and I believe his too, just didn't seem like enough reason to rupture the family, to disrupt the kids. But it got to a crisis point where my health was starting to go. Not just my emotional health and my spiritual health, but my physical health. And so we decided to end it. One of the most difficult things I've ever done. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what stage four was gonna look like. I knew there was a problem, I made a change. And things weren't even that radical of a change. We made a decision not to make any major changes really for the first year. I just moved into a different bedroom. We still co-parented the kids, but the basic fabric of the family and the relationship changed radically. Stage three, emptiness. I don't know what this is going to look like. At times I wanted to go back, but there was nothing to go back to. It wasn't even an option. And in that stage three, in that emptiness, a whole new thing has developed. It's turned out better than I ever could have imagined. We're both happier. We have all this generosity and respect and kindness for each other. So one of the great catalysts for change is pain. Pain is a great motivator. We don't always have to be motivated by pain, but it certainly is a good motivator. And it's often only when the pain of where we are is greater than our fear of the unknown that we'll step into the unknown and make the change. One of my clients is in the midst of a change like this. She's a young adult and is moderately financially supported by her father who alternates between being kind and loving and rageful and abusive. And she's felt like she has to take the abuse 
because he gives her money. And we talked about the idea that she's prostituting herself, that she accepts her father's rage and abuse and takes money for it, that there's an agreement or an exchange. The dad gets to dump his anger, abuse, and negativity on her, and she gets paid for it. And is that an agreement she wants to keep? And the idea has been that somehow it's a little bit worth it because there's hope that maybe father will change or that the little bit of kindness and love that he shows when he does is perhaps worth the abuse. But when we really look at the ratio, it's not worth it, that she's chasing after crumbs. But the prospect of ending her relationship with her father is terrifying. She's open to letting go of the money, but she doesn't know how to live without him in her life. And we talked about maybe a middle ground, a third option, the option of setting healthy guidelines, that I'll have a relationship with you, but you can't yell at me, you can't be abusive. If you scream or swear at me, then the conversation's over. And we'll have another conversation when you're willing to be civil and kind and a grown-up. Change doesn't always have to look like getting a whole new life. Change can look like asking for what we want, telling the universe what we need, and making choices that support that. It's okay to say no. And I was thinking about how that's a metaphor for what's happening culturally for us right now. That in this time of sheltering at home, in this pregnant pause, when a lot of people are out of work, most people are working from home, certainly in the Bay Area, or their work is on hold, their daily routines have been disrupted, and it's an opportunity to really ask ourselves, what do we want when we go back? There's an article circling around about gaslighting. I'll also leave that in the show notes. And what's going to happen as we move back into quote-unquote normal life and be prepared to get gaslit, be prepared for an onslaught of consumerism and commercialism that's going to try to sell us everything to get us back into our comfort zone. I look at my screen-obsessed teenagers, my screenagers, and it's not that unusual for them to have virtual friendships. For a lot of people, the COVID-19 experience has really shown them how much they need human contact, how much they miss in-person connection with people. But is there a way this could become a new normal? Like Eisenstein said, we're in rehab for a moment. We've been removed from our addictive, compulsive lifestyle. But what are we going to do? Are we going to relapse when we go back? Or are we willing to step into the unknown and make some real change? And do we even need to know what the resolution looks like? Do we need to try to vision it or figure it out ahead of time? Or can we just not do what we always did? Can we set a healthy boundary like my client is intending to do and just say, no, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to participate in this way. It doesn't feel good. It's not healthy for me. I want to be more connected with people. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to spend more time in nature. I like the quiet. The thing about that four-stage model of change is that when people turn back from the third stage of emptiness, when the unknown feels too risky, 
and they return to the quote unquote safety of what they've always known, how safe is the safety really? Because you stepped into the stages of change because there was a problem. Often the things that we consider to be safe are about tolerating things that are just barely tolerable. But like my marriage, the question is, is it worth it to step into the unknown? Is it worth it to really risk change? Is the devil I know better than the devil that I don't know? And unfortunately, from that perspective, everything looks like a devil. <laughs> and we aren't open to the possibility that the plant that's going to pop up out of the earth may be something really incredibly beautiful and fruitful that we couldn't even imagine. But we got to go through the emptiness to get to the other side. And you know, when I was in Safeway the other night, I could feel the grief of letting go of the dairy aisle. There was no yogurt. I'm used to being able to have whatever I want, whenever I want it. But there's a price for that. I'm not sure what the price is, but I know for myself, my own experience, having gone through those four stages of change many times, in the long run, I don't think I've ever gotten to stage four fully and regretted it. Sometimes it takes a while to acclimate, but in the long run, there's an evolutionary process happening here, way beyond our human intentions. The life force is always growing in creativity and complexity, and the more we can surrender and go with it, the more our own life experience is one of creativity and fulfilling complexity. At least that's my experience. I'm a risk taker. I'm a champion of change. We're all going to co-create our post-pandemic world. We all have a part to play. And this may be an opportunity for each of us to participate in the change that we seek in our own life, individually and collectively. If you want to book a session of spiritual psychology, I'm seeing all clients remote by phone, FaceTime, or Zoom, you can shoot me an email at info at I'm also starting a mentorship program for people who are interested in integrating spirituality into their work, whether you're a healer or a corporate professional. I'm expanding my practice to include coaching in spiritual psychology. You can pick up a copy of my book, Allies and Demons, Working with Spirit for Power and Healing on Amazon or on my website at reneemckenna.com. Stay safe. Stay well. Blessings on your path. Until we meet again, this is Renee LaValle McKenna in San Francisco.